Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I am back with a third season. And wow, so much has changed since season two. Mainly in that I've been on my own journey through pregnancy and have joined this crazy, incredible club of motherhood. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pip, a practicing NHS midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness. I have a somewhat relentless passion for ensuring women are empowered with real, honest and reliable information and support throughout their pregnancy. Because my goodness, pregnancy is such a powerful time in a woman's life that is often miraculous and challenging in equal measures. Over the upcoming weekly episodes, I am joined by many leading experts to bring you the evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy and motherhood journey that you need to hear. Needless to say, I had my notebook at hand when recording this season, and I would recommend the same for you too. I hope you're ready for the giggles, knowledge bombs, and empowering chats to commence. But before I get quizzing our guests on this season, I have some questions for you. Have you found yourself with unanswered pregnancy questions? Have you been guilty of trying to navigate the rabbit warren of inaccurate information on the internet? Do you feel that extra support and guidance would be useful to you? If you answered yes to any of these, then fear not. My exclusive Your Pregnancy Journey course is for you. Spaces are limited, so if expert guidance through each stage of your pregnancy and birth preparation and a community support group with 24 access to asking questions sounds like it's for you, then head over to www.midwifepip.com now to check it out. And I look forward to getting to know you better and ensuring your pregnancy journey is the most empowering and positive it can be. You'll also find information all about my antenatal course options on my website. And any questions about choosing the right course for you, then please get in touch via the contact page and I'll be there to help you navigate the right choice. 
think of a pregnant woman and I bet most of us recall seeing someone waddling about clutching their lower back looking somewhat less than comfortable. Pelvic girdle and back pain in pregnancy is a hugely common issue. So much so in fact that we often assume it's part and parcel of pregnancy and something that we must just simply endure. But what if that's not the case? On this week's episode, I am delighted to welcome back the wonderful Claire Bourne, who you may remember from season one, when Claire shared so much wisdom on pelvic floor health. I always learn so much when I chat with Claire, and I hope that you will too, as we discuss the real truth around pelvic girdle and back pain in pregnancy. Claire's an experienced pelvic health physiotherapist and mum of two, Claire's passion for providing evidence-based information to mums during pregnancy and the postpartum period is driven by her ethos that women should never feel alone or experience symptoms without support. So I'm immensely grateful that she is with us today. So welcome, Claire, and thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks, Pip. It's lovely to come back and have a nice little chat about something slightly different. Yeah, and something that I think is so common. Mm. Um, so it's going to be great to pick your brains on today. So I'm very grateful to have your um, expertise. Yeah, Claire, before we kind of kick off about pelvic girdle and back pain, I wondered if you could just explain to us what a pelvic health physiotherapist actually is. Because I'm sure I'm not alone. Quite often when you first hear that term, you just think pelvic floor and nothing else. Mm -hmm. But actually your job's quite vast, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and I think what's happened in the recent years is that we've just started becoming, like we've been started to be called pelvic health physiotherapists, which actually before we were sort of women's health. And then because we started treating men, it was then women's and men's health. Um, and now really that's just such a laborious, like long term, isn't it? So it's just like, pelvic health but it's, it's a very new term really so essentially we're physiotherapists lots of questions like we do the normal physio degree um and then postgraduate we probably do some training within the nhs potentially or lots of other courses but a pelvic health physiotherapist yeah i mean it is vast so some of us will just treat women some of us will treat women and men some of us will treat women men and children with essentially really anything to do with the pelvic region. I have a bit of a joke where I'm like, it's anything from the nipples to the knees because it's sort of like, you know, diaphragm, breathing, <laughs> the abdominals, um, your, the pelvis, the pelvic floor, and really, but essentially really any physiotherapist has to treat the whole body because, you know, our brain, and, and, and we're going to talk about that today, obviously pain, very related to our brain. And so we really have to think about the whole thing, but it's essentially that sort of core area of anatomy. That's our specialist interest. And uh, we've done, uh, you know, additional training which is quite different, I think, to what people imagine a physiotherapist to do. So, you know, we'll do vaginal examinations, anorectal examinations. So probably what you'd more think of as a gynecologist would do. Um, but that's because that's where your pelvic floor muscles sit. We also do that. But um, yes, it's vast and really spreads across the lifespan. So we will treat young women and men all the way up uh, to 80s, 90s, whoever needs help. So it's a very broad, but I think a lot of what we do I think as I've known about is to do with the pre and postpartum period um, and that's obviously what we're going to chat about. Thanks Claire. that's really useful because I think so often we think of physiotherapy we think of like sports injury so then when you throw pelvic health you just think pelvic floor but actually it's good to know that you are you're covering lots of things that are just super important in pregnancy and the postpartum which is I suppose why we start to sort of hear about your role in that time in our life. Certainly I know until I started sort of researching it and talking to people like yourselves I had no idea how vast your role was and actually how much it could help 
pretty much everybody in um, pregnancy and the postpartum in reality yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's fascinating isn't it that um, I mean I, I was completely the same you know when I left university good old 12 13 years ago I was like I'm gonna you know be a rugby physio and I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna look after kids and then pelvic health was just so not on my radar um and I mean it's hugely changed as a as a kind of an area of our profession in recent years and it's exciting um but yes I, I don't blame anyone to not know because I think a lot of physios are still like what do you actually do so it's uh, yeah lots to learn but a great area amazing so we have debunked that first myth um, so Claire when we think about pelvic girdle and back pain I mean it's something I see all the time for the women that I look after as a midwife how common actually is it yeah so when we're talking about sort of pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain so this is not kind of like aches or niggles that have maybe come and gone you've maybe you know a few days of like oh don't feel comfortable and then it gets better this is sort of this persistent pain that kind of is going on throughout your pregnancy what we think we know, and I want to start this podcast by, by saying that actually within this area, we are learning a lot. And actually, we all have to be humble enough to say that a lot of the time we don't fully know. So a lot of what I'm sharing is this is kind of this evolving understanding for everybody involved. So um, just to kind of start off, but what we think we understand at the minute is probably sort of 30 to 50 percent of women may experience or report it by about 20 weeks. So that is a lot of women by halfway through their pregnancy. That's what I say. That's really early, isn't it? You kind of think think of it later on when you've got that like real heavy bump and all that extra blood. But actually by 20 weeks, quite often some people's bumps are still quite relatively small, but already you're feeling the effects. Absolutely. And I think this is this is the interesting thing where often it would have been blamed on like, oh, it's just, you know, when you're massive or you're, you know, your bump's so big and your core muscles are no longer working and all this like instability sort of narrative, which has now been challenged. But yes, it shows that actually there must be lots of other things at play because women are experiencing this early on. It could potentially, we think, increase to sort of 60, 70 percent through that kind of final trimester or late in pregnancy. Um, but I think we're still learning. We're still trying to. And actually, because the identification of it is actually still quite poor. Um, and again, the narratives are still very much like this is just part of pregnancy. Um, a lot of the time, these women aren't supported or they don't know anything about it. And so I don't think we're always picking up probably how prevalent it potentially is. Um, it can carry on postpartum. I think that's also an important thing to mention. It's often viewed as like, oh, it's just a pregnancy thing. But actually, some women will go on to have problems. And we think probably the stats will just say seven to 25 percent. So quite, quite broad. So that's more than you think, actually, postpartum. And I see a lot of women actually experiencing that. But again, because they're not told that that's a possibility, they're kind of like, oh, it will just go, it'll just go. And they're kind of waiting for the time where it'll just go. Um, but actually, kind of earlier treatment is always beneficial with this. And actually knowing that's really important, isn't it? Because if you've kind of pinned your hopes on once this baby's born, this pain is just going to disappear and then it doesn't. You're like, what? That's that's not what we agreed. Like, no, (laughs) that's not helpful. No, And it's funny because for some women, they are like, when you talk to them, like it's almost magic. You know, the baby's out and the pain is just gone. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that first walk to the toilet for a wee, they're like, oh wow, I'm like floating on air. But sadly for some, you know, that just is not the case. And I agree. I think so much of the time, and I'm sure you see this a lot with birth, we actually set women up for a fall being like, oh, it will be like this or it will be like that. And actually, it's just saying that, yes, for some women, that will be the case. But there are no guarantees. And that's it's so hard, isn't it, with birth and with the whole time. And I guess in life, there's no guarantees. But I definitely think as a woman, when you're pinning your hopes on maybe you've been in pain or a certain type of birth, 
it can feel so hard to kind of deal with that kind of like something that feels like it's out the left field and you're navigating new motherhood and having a newborn as you will be there so soon and and you're in pain and even walking to pick them up from the crib feels like too much so it can be hugely debilitating and impact women's quality of life transition to motherhood their mental health because you know pain is, is a huge impact on our lives oh claire i love that that's so the ethos of the podcast isn't it that kind of like let's let's be honest you know let's explore what actually happens and keep it real and look at the evidence and not say you know there's this magic thing because our bodies are all so individual we're not a perfect science you know we are we are all so so different so what it's oh sorry Claire carry on no I just just think because also they think the postpartum period is so broad in the sense of the term again some of us view it as six weeks some of us view it as forever and it's quite a big difference that um but I know (laughs) even for myself like I was probably like 10 or 11 months postpartum and I tried to do a particular mood like a side plank with like a leg up on a on a chair um, I was on a course and we were just playing around and I had this sudden shoot through my pubic bone um, that I hadn't had in like 11 months. And I think it's just that understanding that actually your body is in a huge transitional time through the perinatal period. And just because you don't feel something doing certain things, it doesn't mean it may not show itself at other times. And that for me was just a huge learning curve that I'm just not ready for that yet. Um, and now it doesn't mean that, again, we stop everything. But it's just, again, I think noting that just because something happens later on, doesn't mean it's not help it's not you know it's not valid it's not treatable it is but again our body is just I mean very much on its own little journey through yeah definitely and I think we can we can so easily underestimate that journey can't we like it literally is like completely changed in pregnancy yeah so actually to say that we're postpartum forever I don't think is inaccurate because of the massive journey our body does go on yeah so that patience is I guess key yes I will try to remember that (laughs) yeah just message me I'll be like pick them what we talked about yeah <laughs> listen back listen back <laughs> so why does pregnancy cause these symptoms Claire? what is it about pregnancy and yeah. the changes that happen oh you know this is a really tough one and again as I say um I think this can be a hard conversation to have so to talk on where we've come from so the narrative and this is true of when I was like when I graduated and I went straight into pelvic health and this is what we were we were saying and we were taught you know was that it was due to the hormone relaxing which does increase during pregnancy we know that and that does increase a little bit of joint mobility across the body and I mean relaxing has a huge impact on lots of soft tissues um and then we were saying okay because everything is a little bit softer that means your pelvis is no longer stable and that's the driver of the pain however that theory has in essence been disproved so no, we're not saying that relaxing is not there. Yes, it is. And yes, there has been shown to be some, some minor increase in movement. However, that is no longer understood to be correlated with the, being the primary cause for pelvic girdle pain, which I think has twofold impact. I think in some ways it's very empowering because actually if we live under that narrative, women are like, well, there's nothing I can do because this is just the reality of my pregnancy. I've got increased relaxing. My body's going to have more pain therefore it's not treatable however then I think the challenge is then okay so what is causing this if that's not the cause and then that opens a whole can of worms as to what is the primary driver and the really honest answer is we we don't honestly fully know and for some women we just don't know we just can't make sense of it fully so 
our current understanding, as I say, it's evolving. There is a lot of work going into this to try and understand. And I think whenever we talk about pain, we have to admit that pain is incredibly complex, as you all know. And everyone's <laughs> experience of pain is incredibly different. So things that may be linked are previous trauma or previous you know, problems with your hips or you know around the pelvic region. Um, hormones may play a part and um, we think maybe more because that estrogen level is actually really high and estrogen is a sensitizer generally within the system so essentially what we understand as pelvic girdle pain is that the, the pelvic tissues the tissues soft tissues around the pelvis are sensitized so the sort of pain output is, is um sort of higher I, and that's a very simplistic way of explaining it but you're kind of very much more aware sensitized pain in the area um, obviously, the brain is hugely related. There have been some studies that are now showing that those who maybe suffer more with anxiety and depression experience potentially more pelvic girdle pain, which isn't easy to hear or to understand. And I think obviously with anything like that, it's a bit of a cycle, isn't it? Mm. And I, I'm honest about this within myself. So I've had pelvic girdle pain elements of in both pregnancies for myself. First time it happened because I actually fell over and fell right on the base of my pelvis. Um, and from then I had quite a lot of pain, but then I had the anxiety of like, oh my goodness, this is my pregnancy now. I'm only 18 weeks. Um, how am I going to cope doing my job? How am I going to give birth? And, you know, I went down this really anxious spiral and I, I, I've been open. I actually experienced quite a lot of uh, pregnancy anxiety for a number of reasons in my first pregnancy. So I can definitely now see that increased stress, increased cortisol, that can actually in increase our experience of pain. And this is where pain is so complex. Mm -hmm. Now, at no point are we saying this is truly in your head, that this is a mental health condition. This is a, you know, this is no way physical. No, 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 that's not the case. But it's a disservice if we don't have that conversation because for some women, that is a contributing factor and it won't be for everyone. There's fascinating stuff coming out about kind of like our immune system and pain. So, it's vast. It can be just to do with sort of muscle imbalances as well around the pelvis, how we move, carrying children slightly differently and awkwardly. Um, so multifactorial. And this is where assessment has to be done, because actually sometimes it can almost appear like it's pelvic girdle pain, but it could actually not be at all pelvic girdle pain. But it just feels like it's around that area. So, yes, we don't fully know. Some risk factors as well seem to be that the women who've had more than one pregnancy, it, it, more women maybe seem to experience that. Sleep seems to be a big part, but kind of that just that whole, the whole topic of just the body being under stress, right? Which obviously in a second pregnancy, you're potentially still not sleeping through the night if little ones are up and down. The demand is just higher. You know, your kids are probably up at six o'clock, if not earlier every day. You're trying to probably try juggle work, childcare, everything else. There's much less time for yourself. So, you know, when you start looking at that and just the general stress on the body and the system, you can start to think, okay, well, maybe that is why we start experiencing pain in a different way. Um, so, yeah, it's complex. And I find it hard to explain because actually we don't know. And I think it's really important as clinicians, we admit, we don't always know. But we must stop saying to women it's because their pelvis is unstable, because they're weak, because, um, you know, it's truly a hormonal driver. We're not saying that hormones don't have any play. 
But we're just saying that we can no longer blame it fully on being a biomechanical, hormonally driven condition. So that's no longer supported. Um, but we have to be open to say we're still learning the whole picture. Yeah, that's a really good point, Claire, isn't it? It's so multifactorial. It's not kind of as simple as that. Um, and I loved what you were saying about that mind-body connection when it comes to pain, because that's something I can completely relate to. I teach it in my birth prep classes. The idea that if you get into this anxiety, fear, tension cycle, then it exacerbates pain. And that's exactly what we're trying to work against in labor. But actually, I guess it's the same for any type of pain in life, be that your pelvis, a headache, you know, yes. labor. It kind, yes. of, it kind of all plays into the same. Of course. And obviously, when you have pain, you naturally want to stop it. So, you know, when I, I recently had quite bad back pain and I, I just didn't want to move because I knew it was going to cause like it was going to I was going to experience my pain. Mm. Actually, equally in my physio brain knew that movement is actually good. And what my body actually needs to do is move. Finding what that movement is and how we get you to do that. That's a whole other topic. And this is where individual care is so vital, because one woman with pelvic girdle pain or back pain and another woman one their their goals will be different you know someone it'll just be like I just want to take my kid to the park and get through this pregnancy and for someone else they might be like I just want to be able to keep doing my workouts you know I can't you know for my mental health for my well-being I just want to be able to do a proper workout and so working with those two individuals and equally some might pain feel their pain in their pubic bone and some might feel the pain around the back of their pelvis so this is where we have to say, okay, look, we need to assess you. We need to see what you're able to do, work with within your parameters. And if you continue to help your brain to know and your systems to know that movement is good. Um, but often what happens is because women aren't supported, it's again, it's this like, well, that's just the way it is. Their pain increases, their mobility and ability decreases. And they're just left with this such lack of support. Um, whereas actually we often see if we see women earlier and actually as you say, that kind of waddling as you did in the introduction, you know, <laughs> we get into these patterns, which equally then can set off other problems, because that's not really how our body's designed to move. Very helpful at getting us from A to B at times. But, you know, there's, there's always this kind of slightly knock on effect. And actually, sometimes when we break that down, or the earlier we catch it, and we say, right, let's put in some strategies now. Um, it's amazing to see that women actually though you think the pain is just going to go 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 up and it's just going to get worse actually for some women we can actually get it to go down and then be absolutely fine so the frustration is though that 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 help is not available I'd say widely across the NHS for all women and if you think about the amount of women if we're saying about 50 percent of pregnant women needing that support I mean that's vast isn't it and sadly the NHS just cannot at the minute resource that um, and but I equally think part of the problem is the narrative that we still have across healthcare professionals that this is not a treatable condition um, and it is that's really good to hear Claire and I think that ties into so many women's health um, kind of issues doesn't it that it's yes. kind of not easily accessible but that's a whole nother rant for a yeah. whole nother day because we could be here for hours if we get into that <laughs> so when it comes to um, kind of pelvic girdle or back pain is there anything that we can do either when we're in that preconception period or during pregnancy itself to try to help reduce our risk of or prevent it kind of creeping in? 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I would say definitely if you know you've got a history, say, of any hip condition or hip injury or back injury or anything like that. I'm actually seeing a lot of women come to me with this being like, you know, I, I know I've got this history and I'd really love to try and think about how I'm moving now. What can I do? Um, and I think that's also true for between pregnancies as well. So say you've had like a really hard first pregnancy and you're wanting to have another and you think, I just can't cope with that again. I've seen women who like were on crutches the first time. They've come to me, say that kind of year postpartum. And we've really worked very gradually on getting them stronger, helping them just to move better. Um, and actually a lady went on to have literally not a single bit of pain. She said she was just waiting every week to be like, this will be the week, this will be the week. And she went through a whole pregnancy with not a single bit. So again, we don't fully know. Um, exercise has not been shown from a strengthening exercise point of view in pregnancy to necessarily cure pain, um, which is again, what we used to be because we were like, okay, if something's unstable, the more we strengthen, focus on strength, will that equal decrease pain again the the research isn't standing up on that actually what we're seeing more is actually again as you say this sort of tension picture that actually if we get women just moving more freely um and and just doing just movement knowing that movement's good it doesn't have to be truly focused on strengthening but in pregnancy that can really help we think we understand that probably between pregnancies and i guess this would stand for before um some strength training can help in that time and I've definitely seen that anecdotally with some of my clients again I don't think it's just truly strength though I think it's just movement patterns and again dealing with some tensions and how we hold ourselves and feeling confident to move I think there's so you know we view it as strength training but really movement is movement isn't it and and that's really powerful so um that's I think that's what I would generally say um though because we don't fully understand why we don't fully have the answers as to who you know I know three people who probably do Pilates and they might be like I went into the pregnancy strong and some still have it more than others and that's because there are these multiple factors but I think just being aware of it um maybe yeah as I say seeing someone proactively if you know you have a history of any problems um, and then I think just knowing early on in the pregnancy, if you are having any problems, just to flag it and get some help. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. And I'm always really passionate about kind of functional movement training in that we do everyday activities. Like we think of a squat as being this big exercise, but actually every time you sit on the toilet or sit on the sofa, you're essentially doing a squat. Yeah. But yet when we put it into an exercise scenario, we're like, oh, it's a workout. But actually it's just a functional movement that we need to be able to do well. Yeah. And I think in a generation where we do a lot of sitting down whether that's you know office jobs commuting watching telly in the evening things like that we've just ended up with quite poor posture and some quite poor movement patterns that just surely can't help 
And we see that just in back pain in the non-pregnant population, don't we? When you compare kind of how a, a toddler will just get and squat on the floor in like the most perfect, like Beautiful. perfect form. Yeah. And then as we get older, we just lose that. And, and if we don't use it, we do lose it, don't we? Yeah. So kind of thinking about that functional movement is really, really yeah. helpful. Absolutely. And I think this is the thing. Often we overcomplicate things. And, and that's where you have to break down what a woman needs. Like ultimately, if it... The woman, yeah, she needs to be able to stand off her chair. She needs to be able to go to the toilet. She needs to probably be able to walk around her house. And all of my strategies with women will be literally looking at those movements and like, how can we get you to do those pain-free? And the more you do that as pain-free as possible, one that helps your brain to not anticipate pain, um, changes the kind of the, the kind of pathways in sense in, in essence. And yeah, it's so important that we just don't view it as like you've got to do this set of exercises. But yeah, who are you? What's your life? For someone who's like a physio like myself and was standing on her feet all day, the approach is going to be different to someone who has a desk job. We're different. How we function is different. And we have to treat that. And this is where sometimes women are like, well, what exercise can I do for pelvic girdle pain? And I'm like, well, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it truly depends on what, you know, we can always say generic things, but actually what will be effective for you is something that's designed specifically for you. Now, Claire, I know you're not going to like this next question just because of that, because I was going to ask you, <laughs> what can we do to help manage pelvic girdle pain? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I would always say trying to see a professional and I think flagging it, as I do say, I do appreciate it's not always easy and I don't think it's always widespread. Um, and sometimes you have to fight your corner and say, no, I know that there is help for this and I'm not going to put up with it. Um, as I say, yeah, movement strategies, you know, thinking about, not fearing movement um which is much easier said than done a really lovely one is you're just actually thinking often women struggle with like rolling in bed and actually often what we're doing is we're getting a lot of tension because again we're anticipating the pain so what i say like say if you're lying on your side what you want to do and i hope i can explain this verbally in some way helpful is open up your arm and your chest okay first you'll still be lying on your side but your arm and your chest will open so you're kind of like lying with your back flat on the bed but your hips are still on the side and then from there, often what we find is if you do a big breath in and just let your legs sort of roll without what we often do is we sort of push through our heels because we're and we're so worried. We tense everything. Actually, that breath in can actually help us relax and almost just flop the legs that often helps women experience much less pain. And again, to roll over rather than taking the legs first and sort of gripping through the bed, as we often do, take your arm over and let your legs just flop. Your legs are very heavy. And if you just actually almost let them go, they will actually often move more freely than when we're holding everything tense. And as we say, that tension can actually feed into the pain. So that's a very small practical thing. Um, I'd often say just breaking things down and actually just, um, you know, say if it's like um, the stairs, okay, taking it one step at a time, or sometimes women find going sideways or just actually just changing things up a bit um yes if you're sat for long periods of time things like um I often just get women to sort of roll up a towel in their lower back or just get up out of their chair every hour and just have a little move around because often we find it's these prolonged postures in any position whether it's the bed sitting cars cars can be the worst um or standing you know any of those things it's just thinking like how can I modify my day so I'm not doing any of these things for like too many hours um and, and that can actually help quite small um I think talking about any concerns you have and the fears that you might have whether that actually be about birth whether that be about um pregnancy about your baby um you know I think just being honest about and I know that you're such an advocate for that with how where you're at your emotions 
because actually we know if anxiety is is feeding into that and i think so many of us are anxious rightly so in pregnancy you know there's so many unknowns it's the first time in your life often when your body is completely out of control to you um you know you're not in control of what's going on um i think when you break any of that down you're like it's actually quite anxiety provoking often a lot of us are maybe moving or you know and navigating maternity leave and change in identity and change in relationships and if you did that any other time in your life when you actually just even if you took out the baby element of things that's a huge shift and I think just us opening up that conversation around just I think there's so much now about kind of maternal mental health which is amazing but I still don't think there's tons being talked about about kind of pregnancy mental health and I know personally, I mean, it's four or five years ago now, I felt quite lonely on that journey because I just didn't feel that conversation was there. And I was like, I'm really struggling. Like, I'm really anxious about a lot of things here. There's a lot of unknown and I'm worried. And I think I just didn't ever piece that bit of the picture into what I was experiencing across the board. Um, so, yeah, I think those would be my top tips alongside if it's, you know, individual help. Yeah, no, that's great. Claire. I totally agree there about the the pregnancy mental health. Mm. Um yeah, I think there's the, the postpartum bit, we're kind of getting there, we're talking yeah, about yeah. it, but actually, yeah, pregnancy is still, and I think as well sometimes with pregnancy, because the expectation is that you're going to be so happy and this pregnant body's amazing, and for lots of women, that is really how they feel and that's yeah. incredible, but actually, if you then don't fit in that category or you're struggling with some of those changes, mm. or perhaps you're not completely thrilled about this pregnancy journey and there's some yeah. kind of hiccups on your path, then that pressure to feel this amazing joy and delight can, can really impact women's mental health, I think. Yeah, hugely, hugely so. So yeah, that's another, another topic uh, <laughs> for another day, but it's also interlinked, isn't it? Our mind and body aren't separate entities at no, all. And we've got to stop separating them. And I think as physiotherapists, that's often been maybe a, a failure of ours, or we've been seen as the physical therapist, like you deal mm. with the physical side and let's not go. And actually what we're seeing more and more is that we just can't do that we're not getting people better and actually often we see as clinicians and, and this is again practice is changing that when we sit down with them and we just have that honest conversation and explain to them this is how your body works it's actually really empowering now we have to make sure that we definitely don't use the narrative of this is in your head because it's completely untrue yeah but to understand how your you know your physical body and I mean, your brain is physical, isn't it? Like, you know, your, your musculoskeletal body is related to your neurological system. And understanding that is just so key. And then once you're like, you're like, okay, I can see that. And I can actually see, I'll often like draw like a map and be like, let's look at how many things are feeding into this whole experience. And then we can then move on from being like, so things that might help are this and this and this and this. And there you've got all your strategies. Actually, there's nothing worse than saying to women, the only thing that's going to help you is to exercise. And it's like, okay, but that's actually really disempowering because what if actually you're struggling to do that one thing that you've been told is the only thing? You know, that's stressful in itself. It's actually when you admit that you're like, okay, maybe I'm a bit more pain today because my baby did not sleep last night. And yeah, I'm feeling completely exhausted or I've had a really stressful week with work. And then you can sort of own it a bit more and be like, okay, this is like temporary. I've had a bit like, let, what strategies can I put into place where I need to find a bit more me time? I need to put in like 10 minutes just to calm my nervous system down. Um, you know, you then start realizing that there's loads more I can do for myself rather than it's just this one label. So I think once we shift it and we understand it all, it's actually very empowering. But I understand the conversation can often feel a bit like, what are you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
all my problem it's all my fault if I only had a better mental health then I wouldn't have pain no no it's definitely not what we're saying but we're saying that we have to definitely incorporate it into how we are supporting you yeah definitely creating that little individual toolbox I suppose that women can then utilize for them yeah now for women out there who are pregnant and managing to stay active if they do notice some pelvic girdle or some back pain that starts to kind of creep in during their exercise so commonly I get questions from women who are either running or still walking swimming etc is that a sign that perhaps they need to stop this activity altogether or scale it back or how do you navigate that I'll often yeah modify would be often my the term I think physios would use so essentially any pain any symptoms are the body's way of communicating like I'm not quite great can you just maybe help me out here and then it's our responsibility to listen to that and think okay how do we make that change so say with running you may just want to not just run you might want to walk run and see if that helps you might want to shorten your distance or your speed you know there's loads of ways you can play around with running things like a workout say um you know if lunges are an issue maybe you'd want to maybe not go into such a deep lunge or maybe just like a split stance squat instead um so maybe not so dynamic maybe it's easier if it's static maybe not so deep you know really just have a play around and see how does my body feel um within that so i i know for myself like if i did say a lunge with my foot up on uh, like a um a bench uh, that was really, really not good for me in the later stage of the pregnancy. Whereas if I did it static, both feet on the floor, I didn't do dynamic. That was actually okay. And so again, it's, it's playing around with that. But I, I do think the main message is don't just stop everything because you experience a pain doing something. Maybe scale that thing back and see that the main thing is not to change too many things too soon. Because then you're like, I actually don't know what's helped. Yeah, what was the problem? What's helped? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So sometimes it's just saying, okay, maybe this week I won't run and I'll carry on with everything else and just see how I feel. But equally, sometimes when tissues are aggravated, it can take a little while to settle. Um, So yeah, not a clear cut answer, but definitely doesn't mean you have to avoid everything for the rest of pregnancy. And often we want you again to find the right things that work for you because movement is good. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just about getting back and not ignoring it. Definitely don't ignore pain or symptoms because they are there for a reason. Um, but yeah, sometimes knowing what to do is not always easy. I appreciate that. That's really useful, Claire. And actually, I think really empowering for women because often, and certainly I found in my pregnancy, one day a run felt amazing. The next mm. day it felt absolutely awful. And like you were saying with that kind of mind and the, and the body, maybe it is that, you know, I slept poorly that night before it felt terrible. Yeah. You know, my, my body was a bit fatigued from the hundreds of night shifts that I've done in my pregnancy. And it's all of those things that actually play into how you feel one day in pregnancy compared to the other. It can be complete polar opposites, can't it? It's crazy. I think you, your physical structures haven't dramatically changed in 24 hours or in, in three days. You know, you haven't suddenly become super weak. And, that, <laughs> and this is an exact example of all the factors at play to how our body functions. It's not just like, are your muscles strong enough today? Are your muscles able to move your leg in this and that direction? Yeah there's lots of things at play and I remember that completely you know and often it's just yeah our exhaustion our reserves levels our nutrition the amount of water we've maybe drunk and sometimes you just don't even think about it you know sometimes we don't even know if we've gone for a wee that day you're like did I do a wee this morning if you're busy at work you're like I don't even know if I've weed today so it's totally understandable you can't remember every single part of why maybe you're feeling the way you are 
but it's listening to that and saying okay I just got to work with where I'm at in this moment and and not catastrophizing because I'm sure probably on that run you're like oh no does that mean I'm not going to run now for the rest of my pregnancy right we just go to that place I'm not judging I've done that a million times oh 100 percent it's like worst case scenario first bit of pain that's it we're it's over end of (laughs) exactly and so it's 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 trying to stay present isn't it with like this is where my body's at today it doesn't mean I'm going to be like that forever but I just got to work with where I'm at today tomorrow's a new day we'll see where we're at and just constantly working in that sort of mindset but it's hard <laughs> it is isn't it it's so hard especially if you are someone that's used to being kind of active oh. it's almost part of your identity isn't it totally to, to switch off now the other thing I often see and we kind of alluded to this Claire but that women who've had pelvic girdle pain previously or have had multiple pregnancies that they tend to be more susceptible to pelvic girdle pain or have it sort of perhaps a bit sooner or a little bit more significantly is it true that a woman is more likely to have it again if they've had it in a previous pregnancy Mm, I think we do see that um however I think again it just comes down to experience of pain to some extent so once we have experienced pain in an area like our brain is more aware of that um, like in the same way that you know you hear women who've had an episiotomy 20 years down the line still feel where they had an episiotomy right I mean that episiotomy is no longer causing you know is no yeah. longer an injury but your brain is fully aware of where that was so I think this is again it's complicated with pain but I think if say it hasn't been dealt with and again there's then that fear element of things um and often potentially what was contributing as a driver before if it's not been dealt with and it's not been treated will just continue to be a contributing factor plus as I say maybe sleep more demand on your system carrying children you know there's lots of other factors however as I mentioned that other lady it doesn't have to be the case so I think the main message being like it's not a foregone conclusion just because you had pelvic girdle pain before that you can never not have it again or you can never have a, a better pregnancy because I definitely didn't have it to the same level in my second because again, I, I kind of was aware of it. I knew what to do. I'd already seen people before. Um, and actually, I didn't need to see anyone in my second pregnancy like I did in my first because I knew how to manage it because um, I understood my body better. So it, it can be tricky. I think sometimes, yes, we definitely see that. And that's definitely a possibility. But it's absolutely not a given. And sometimes women who've had it awful the first time have better second pregnancies because they've been so intentional. So again, it's multifactorial. But um I know that a lot of women were like, oh, I had it first time and I've just got it now again and it's getting worse with each pregnancy. That definitely is something that we do see, but it just doesn't have to be that case. God, education and understanding your body is so important, isn't it? It's oh, so important. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I wish we could get more and more of that out there. So oh, yeah, that's, that's the aim. That's the that's aim, isn't it, Claire? Going, that's the end goal. <laughs> now we've kind of discussed, Claire, about sort of resolving pelvic girdle pain in that it's, you know, how long is a piece of string? Every woman's different. For some women, birth is a magic cure. For others, it's something they might negotiate for a while postpartum. Is there like a a typical, so for most women, does it resolve following birth? Can we have a bit of hope? Yeah, (laughs) I would say a huge majority. Yeah. And I guess that's the whole, you know, if if we're thinking up to 25%, there's obviously that, the rest of that percent, up to 100% um, that are fine, crack on, no problem. And it is this small percentage that do. But yeah, I'd say the majority of women have loads of hope that it will resolve. I don't think it's a bad thing to go and get checked out and see like, maybe why did I have that? If that's a possibility for you. Um, But if not, yeah, you know, getting back to exercise and activity can be wonderful and uh, feeling free again in your movements. 
Yeah. And actually, I think getting checked out, Claire, is something like with, with someone like yourself is something that I cannot advocate enough for women. And we know that the NHS doesn't support that for women who aren't symptomatic and the waiting list can be long and that can be a massive barrier. But actually in pregnancy, there are ways and means. If you think about the amount of the amount of baby gifts you're going to get, the amount of baby grows that you you end up with from beloved friends and family. Actually, if you could say instead of that, could you contribute towards a private consultation for me? It might be you see someone once and they're like, everything's great. Keep doing what you're doing. But actually, if you can try and think about planning um, for having a consultation, it is so empowering and can really help you have a more positive and comfortable pregnancy. So anyone out there listening who's kind of, is it worth it? 100% like definitely go for it in pregnancy. And then if you can postpartum as well, it can be really, really helpful. So a massive thanks for doing the job you do, Claire, because... I love it. I feel privileged to do my job. You know, isn't that a saying that like, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Like I still find it now to be like, oh yeah, it actually is my job. It is technically work, but it just was such a part of who I am and what I do that I just don't necessarily feel like it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you know you're in the right job, I think. Totally. (laughs) Now, Claire, you've been on before, so you know that I like to round it off with three top tips. So popping you on the spot again, but I wonder if you could just share your three top tips for women who are experiencing pelvic girdle or back pain in pregnancy that might be listening to us chat today. Know that your pain is real. And don't let anyone make you doubt that your experience is what it is, because it is. And um, sometimes you've got to fight your corner. So <laughs> number two, advocate for yourself. You say, I've listened to a podcast. I've done my research and I, I need some help here. Uh, sometimes having to do your own research in the sense of finding out who your local physios are there's a great um directory online so you'll have heard of probably the squeezy app for doing your pelvic floor but online as a website squeezyapp.com forward slash directory you can look at physios across the country in your area and often it will say nhs and the referral route because it is different across the board so sometimes finding that out is really helpful you know not all midwives and all gps know about us and what we do and sometimes you having that information um is good and don't ignore the early niggles. Like if you're feeling like mm, this just doesn't feel right, the earlier you see someone, the better. Don't let yourself get to that point. And I say this humbly because I've done this recently myself to the point where you can't move. And then you're like, yeah, I knew this was coming, but I just ignored it and I didn't do anything about it, um, which I completely life's busy, life's happening, especially if you're second, third pregnancy, you've got kids going on. But those messages are there for a reason and often when we ignore them we're like damn it I should have just listened and and you know got help a little bit sooner amazing thank you Claire always a pleasure to chat to you I always learn so much um so thank you so much for your time and hopefully we can um chat again soon yes well good luck to you thank you you'll be fab exciting times ahead (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women I can reach out to and empower with this information. For more daily free information, inspiration or details on my bespoke antenatal education courses or your pregnancy journey course, then head over to my website www midwifepip.com and check out my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.